Hi, I'm Rita Garwood, Editor-in-Chief of The Monitor, and I am here today with Rafe Rosado. Rafe is Chief Innovation Officer at DLL Group, and he has been named one of the most innovative people in the equipment finance ecosystem. It's quite a title. <laughs> Thanks for being here and talking with me today, Rafe. I appreciate you taking the time. No, as, uh, I, I first, thank you very much. Very honored to have this designation. Uh, as I frequently joke, uh, Rita, afterwards, if you could call my mom, that would be great. <laughs> um, I think she would rather hear this from someone else other than me. But um, no, this is fantastic. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So as this innovative person and as an innovation officer, what does the word innovation mean to you? Yeah, the uh, for me, you know, just very simply, um, there's there's two aspects of innovation that are important to me when I think about it. Um, first, it's just about um, uh, human beings as a species and some of our innate characteristics that make us different than you know other um, species or sentient beings uh, on this planet. Um, the first being is that. Um, you know, human beings are very capable or, or solely capable of taking abstract ideas and then turning them into reality. Um, this, that's the first thing. And the second is, is that we have the ability to collaborate at scale, um, which you tra traditionally only see in kind of like hive uh, organisms like bees or ants for that matter. Uh, and then also we're highly adaptable to a changing environment. Um, and just so I'm clear with everybody, that's not like, you know, you know, heavy theory stuff that I came up with. Most of that is outlined in a book by uh, Yuval Noah Harari. It's called Sapiens. Um, and uh, and we kind of borrowed, you know, from that idea from another lecture that we heard, which is, you know, the, the, the ability for human beings to be creative. Uh, I refer to it as, you know, our, our general desire to daydream throughout uh, our existence. And then taking that creativity and putting it into real action. And that's the act of innovating, which is, you know, what's here becomes out here. And, um, and that's generally what I think about. And, and, the, and daydreaming and creativity and action is usually people's um, desire for a better environment or a better experience or a better world. And I believe that innovation is always that progression forward to a better place. It's cool that you mentioned that that daydreaming. And I feel like a lot of the times we hear from people today that everyone's so busy and everyone has so much to do. How do you make time for daydreaming if you're constantly busy? Well, it's th from that standpoint, yeah, you can fill an entire day with, you know, Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting and really feel like you've, you're busy, 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 like you say. Um, and you actually have to be, you have to schedule that time to not be doing that active things and really kind of thinking about things. And uh, that's really challenging for people. However, it is um, the ability to really think about the what if or I wonder about your business or your life or whatever it is that you're doing um, is that that contemplative moment that says, hey, how do we how do we get to where we want to be? Um, and and frequently, I think people miss uh, they miscalculate in their professional lives in not giving that time space. And I would make the comparison to the sports world: is that um, you know every athlete before they start goes through a visualization process 
of seeing themselves, you know, in, in the champion's ring or on the podium or anything. And that, and they chase that, you know, they say, what's it going to take for me to be there? And, um, that, that time out that you take, you know, to think about your life, you know, it's not daydreaming, like you're just doing nothing. It's, it's, it's thought with intent. Uh, and that's a visualization. Uh, and, and, um, uh, we don't have a lot of time, but, you know, I always joke with my, my spouse about this. Um, she's always asking me what I'm doing. I say, oh, I'm really busy. And she'll say, oh, I've been watching you and you've just been sitting there. I go, I know, but it's in there, it's in my head. And it's going to come out, hopefully. So, and that's part of, you know, preparation is 90% of the execution. You know, are you, you know, are you ready? Have you created an environment where you can perform at your top, your top, top best? Um, and having come off the Super Bowl, uh, anybody who's read anything about, you know, someone like Tom Brady, who at his, you know, age and level of performance just boggles the mind. But when you do the research on what he does, it's a tremendous amount of time prepar preparing. So you mentioned envisioning a future of your company. And DLL has actually been named one of the most innovative companies in our list, too. Can you describe a company and initiative from the last year that highlights your commitment to innovation? Yes. Um, so the first, the first thing is, is that we started uh, a program a number of years ago from our executive board. It was spearheaded by our CEO that says, hey, we have to think of a disruptive world, disrupted world and think through what that could mean to us, you know, and we decided to take, you know, intent here and say, well, we want to be the disruptor rather than the disrupted. And how would we do those things? And when you have a long legacy or performance, that's a bit of a challenge. So when it, but, but the good thing was, is that we had a top-down commitment, you know, for funding and structure and design that says, hey, we want to, we want to take the time and the energy to step away from our day to day to think about what is the future going to be. Uh, so we started that process. But when I look at the last, you know, 12, 14 months, no one can help but, you know, say, well, what did the COVID-19 pandemic mean to us, our business and how we approach it? And we really, you know, looked at that as um, we didn't want to be part of the problem. We didn't want to do nothing. We wanted to be part of the solution. So we created a, a internal program, uh, which we called the, the chrysalis initiative, you know, kind of mimicking that, you know, the, the, the metamorphosis that a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly. And that we were in this position with the pandemic and a number of other things to say, what does COVID mean to us? And how do we, how do we come out of this transformed in a positive way? So, it's been a tragedy and a tremendous year of sadness for so many people, but we, we, we wanted to acknowledge that, but say, how do we move this forward? And we looked at it from a couple of different ways is one, first and foremost, what's the impact on our people, you know, and, you know, how do we use that um, two ways? One is how do we find new talent in our business that may not come from our business that could give us an outsider's perspective? you know, and maybe give us some new creativity that we don't have because we've got, you know, legacy business. And then secondly is, you know, what is that new way of working? Like here we are in Zoom, you know, 
Um, if somebody had told me, you know, 14 months ago, I'd spend 90% of my interactions with people over a video conference, I would have laughed because I would say our business is a kneecap to kneecap business. And now we do that in an electronic medium. And then the other side of it is we operate in 30 plus countries. What do we do with all that real estate that no one's going into anymore? And how do we manage that? Uh, and, and then what is the technology implications of that? And then if you take the people and the technology and you reimagine your processes, what's the end result for our customer? And is that what the customer wants or do we need to rethink that? So this whole initiative around that really, you know, kind of took a, a very terrible situation and said, well, you know, how do we first deal with this? Secondly, how do we make sure we survive it? And then thirdly is, you know, how do we, how do we make a positive out of this that makes that that gives us longevity and relevance for our client base long term? So what did you do? What's that? So what did you do? How did you what was the Well, on March 13, 2020, we sent 5400 people home. Mm. So everyone works remote. Uh, and I shouldn't say everyone, there's probably less than 1% of the, the corporate population in 30 countries that actually has to go to an office for regulatory reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, we are 100% remote right now. Uh, and um, uh, in addition to that, we looked at the, you know, what are the devices people are using? How, you know, what, you know are we a Zoom user or we have Microsoft Teams user? Um, how do we do virtual collaboration, which we, which we used to have as a whiteboard in our conference rooms? Um, so changing those things uh, around. And then the other thing is that, um, and this is kind of one of those uh, anti-patterns that you kind of see in things, which is to say everybody was getting full up on meetings all day and, you know, and they, were, and they, they weren't taking their time out. Um, so we did, a, we did an initiative called No Meeting Wednesday, which actually gave people that space, one, to catch their breath, two, to, to have that singular focus time. And three, maybe there's just stuff they need to do that doesn't, you know, that that isn't, uh, you know, a one-on-one -on -one or a, you know, a group of five or a group of ten meeting where we dedicated that day. It's like, no, we're not going to do that. So we piloted it for 90 days, and in November we extended it again. So we keep reiterating and saying, how is, you know, how is this benefiting us? Um, and it's been working out pretty well because it gives people that moment, or I would say a full day, just to kind of catch their breath, you know, which. Sometimes you sit there and go, oh, I got a Zoom meeting tomorrow. It starts at seven because it's got to be with Europe. And then I got to do one at seven at night because I got to deal with California. Um, that can be really troublesome, particularly when everybody's home. So uh, I told you earlier, I'm in this room, which is my entertainment room, because my children are upstairs doing virtual school. So all of a sudden, we were a very stratified family that's now all in a pod. Um, we're very fortunate in that we have the space to be able to do that. But that can be a challenge. So we're also looking at people and their work-life balance and say, let's make sure that we've got the, um, you know, not just the work handled, but we give our people an opportunity to have their life handled as well. That's so important. I would love to have a day with no meetings. That would be, I have to talk yeah. to, our, to our owner about that. So talking about initiatives like that, how do you go about creating a culture of innovation? Yeah, it's, well, one of the things that's really interesting, you know, from that standpoint, Rita, is where does culture come from? Uh, and many times it, what I've found uh, is that you talk to a lot of senior leadership in various companies say, well, you know, we want to have a culture program. But cult and people say, well, the culture's got to come from the top, but that's not where culture comes from. 
culture comes from the bottom. Um, structure, rules, governance, funding, allocation, resources, priorities, all of those things come from the top. However, the other thing that came from the top in our organization was, um, you know, hey, this is important and we have to have a growth culture. So one of the things that we, we do very, um, uh, very often is we ask people to, you know, first and foremost at the top, let's take responsibility for our shortcomings and mistakes. You know, we don't have everything right. Uh, we still don't have everything right. There's still, you know, one of the things that we, you know, even though we were able to, you know, have everybody work remotely, it's still not right. It's, it's just, we had the ability to do that. So we still, we're, we're, we're constantly iterating on that to say, how can we make it better? Um, and also, um, when I talked about No Meeting Wednesdays, there's a whole group of people um, who found No Meeting Wednesday as uh, productivity decline because much of the work that they do is collaborative and they need other people and they can't have a meeting with somebody. So maybe they've lost something. So a good intention may not always result in the perfect outcome for everybody. And you got to think about, hey, maybe that was a misstep. So first, you know, from a culture standpoint, take responsibility for that. Like we, we don't have perfect answers for anything. Second on that is we got we to gotta focus on learning. Um, and, and learning comes from the willingness to inquire, the, you know, have curiosity about the business, um, and more importantly, be transparent about it. Uh, our executive board, which is exciting, you know, many companies, they have their top senior leadership. People know who they are um, by name. They might know their picture from the annual report. Uh, and many large companies, you know, have this challenge of the disconnect between senior leadership. One of the things that our senior leaders did is each of them has a video log that they do uh, on about an every two week basis that gets then transmitted to the organization to say, hey, here's what's happening with the company. So there's a tremendous amount of transparency and um, uh, with what is going on and where, where we're challenged, what we're thinking about. And that has given, I think, a tremendous amount of comfort to the overall company to say, it's a bad time, but we're in it together. And we're, and even though it's a bad time, we're doing well. So, you know, that's part of that, which is, you know, that, that you know, making sure people understand what's going on. And then two other things is, you know, you got to be willing to experiment. You got to try something. But more importantly than, than the experiment is, um, you know, do you have a feedback loop that gives people that platform to say, I liked it, I didn't like it. That's both outside in from our client base, but also from our membership. Um, you know, like I said, there was, uh, when we did the pilot for No Meeting Wednesday, it went back to the board for an extension. And there was a group of folks um, that was the counterpoint so that the healthy debate could be said, is this something that's really beneficial to us? So that, you know, the company can weigh those things, weigh those things out and say, okay, was the experiment successful um, and for whom, and for whom wasn't it, and how do we address those things? How do you collect that information from the members? Is it through management? Is it like a survey? Like what, how do you, what's the process? We, we do a lot of surveys. So um, uh, we do engagement surveys of our members um, and, and throughout uh, the last year, we've been sending surveys out to, um, uh, to our members on, you know, how they feel about certain things. And then when we think about things that, you know, across the spectrum of the 10 types of innovation, which is, you know, how your company's structured, 
what your client experience is or what your products and service, what your product and service suite is, um, we're frequently going out to our client bases and asking them, what do you think about these things? You know, um, not only like, how did you like what we did yesterday, but hey, we're thinking about doing something like this. What would that mean for you? And then seeking their feedback to say, and, and, and trying our best um, when we get that feedback that when someone says, oh, that would be nice, but did you think about this? And, and part of that is having, you know, and this is a culture thing, which is we don't have all the answers. So when someone says, did you think about this? You have to be able to say to them like, no, we didn't think about that, but thank you for that information. And then here's the hard part, which is once they give it to you, you actually have to do something with it. Many people, you know, they ask for survey information and then um, they get the survey information and they don't act on it, which is actually worse than not doing a survey. True, definitely. So in general, the equipment finance industry is not necessarily known as an innovative place. Um, a lot of people in the industry are trying to change that. Um, where can leaders start to make that change? What would your advice be? Diversity in, is the first place to start. Um, and diversity along a number of different spectrums. That's another thing that we've um, uh, spent a lot of time on in the last uh, uh, few years, which is our diversity and inclusion um, uh, campaign within the organization, uh, setting out objectives for it, setting out KPIs for it, and then actually ha having a committee that is responsible for making sure uh, that we have that. And we've been, we've, been, we've been pointed ahead of diversity and inclusion. And the reason for that is, is that Diversity brings different lines of thought. And, and when you have different viewpoints, looking at the same problem, you're going to get better answers to the problem. And many times, particularly in our industry, which over, if you measure the last, you know, 30 to 40 years, our industry has grown and, and most players in it have done very well. Um, that has a tendency to drive a bit of groupthink and a bit of, you know, what I call like a, a intellectual elitism, which is we know what's going on. And actually one of the most um, exciting um, dialogues that I have with my team is with our new people who just started in June of 2020. And um, none of them have financial services backgrounds. And we say, hey, here's what's happening. And what do you think about that? And the answers that they provide or the perspectives they provide are, are, are really surprising. And it's really kind of um, a shocker having been in the business for you know, over 25 years to say, oh, I never thought about that. And isn't it great that they're here to get us to think about that? And so, so what I would say to, to anybody in the industry is if you wanna, if you wanna go far, get a group that thinks differently and be willing to allow them the space to challenge your way of thinking. That's great advice. And that also leads into the next question I had looking at the equipment finance staff of the future. How's it going to look different than it looks today and how are hiring practices going to change? So I'll echo again the issue of diversity. It's going to be a very, you know, it's 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 going to be a multicultural, multi-age, multi-thought 
kind of environment if it's to be as as wonderful as it could be. Um, more importantly, is traditionally, particularly in equipment finance, you know, the two types of people that we looked for in the past, or at least early in my career, was, hey, did you have banking and finance backgrounds, or do you have a finance degree? Um, and uh, secondarily to that is, are you familiar with the asset types? You know, like if you're in the crane, you know, finance business, do you know anything about cranes? And what I believe is going to be the case is that rather than having that hyper specialization, specialization in the asset, you'll still have that, you'll still need those people, but com uh, complementing that, you will need uh, people who have design backgrounds, people that have, you know, communications background, you know, storytellers, um, you know, people, you know, with uh, culture backgrounds, people who know things about uh, organizational dynamics or people that have systems uh, engineering, you know, um, backgrounds to say, how does all of this work together? Because one of the things that's going to change dramatically is people aren't going to be talking about the, just the finance part of that equipment. They're going to be talking about the life cycle of usage from a client's perspective. Finance is only a sliver of that life cycle. So you need all of these other disciplines to understand that so that finance can be its best possible self. Well, we are out of time, unfortunately, but thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and congratulations on yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it. And, I, and you know, it's it, the one benefit of that is, is that I am fortunate to have to have worked for a wonderful company and have unbelievable people to work with. So um, I take this as an honor for the entirety of our organization. And, and Rita, I really appreciate uh, the efforts of the monitor and the recognition as well. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. You too.